This is a CJSR podcast. Volunteer powered. Listener supported. Campus and community. Radio. Podcast. Podcast. Radio. Radio and and podcast. Hi, my name is Savetha Cartwright, and you're listening to That's Food. That's Food is a podcast from CJSR, Edmonton's campus and community radio station, handmade with love by University of Alberta students and community members, telling the backstory to food in Edmonton, one meal at a time. I recently wrote a paper on a local coffee shop supply chain issue. The process of writing this paper opened my eyes to a growing trend in coffee sustainability. So, to explore this further, I sat down to chat with Santiago, over at the Colombian, where we talk about the life cycle of a coffee from farm to cup. Good morning. Thank you so much for agreeing to meet with me. To get started, why don't you introduce yourself to us with your name and a little fun fact about you. Well, my name is Santiago. I'm uh, one of the owners of the Colombian Coffee Bar and Roaster here in Edmonton. Uh, a fun fact about me is that I left Colombia when I was very young, and I grew up in the U.S. So, I essentially grew up on country music and rap. That is very cool, country music and rap. Yeah, no, for sure. Like just uh, growing up, growing up in Georgia. Like I grew up just outside Atlanta, and. Uh, um, that's what my friends would listen to. So, like, if we were hanging out at a party, they would just play uh, some rap music. And then uh, if we were just going on a drive, they would just play some country music. So it was kind of like a good contrast growing, da- growing up in that part of uh, the U.S. Very cool. So since this is a food podcast, we like to start all of our episodes with asking the person what they had for breakfast today. Today, I had one of my favorite things, which is potatoes and eggs. Does it have a specific name or this is just something you made up? No, honestly, I just I just love eggs and potatoes. They just it's like it's like a marriage made in heaven. So definitely is something I like to I like to have every day. I love that. I also agree, especially if the potatoes are really crispy and then the egg yolk just flows all over them. Oh yeah, it just makes for a for a saucy experience, that's for sure. Okay, so um, you're originally from Colombia, one of which is one of the largest producers of coffee in the world. So what was your relationship with coffee growing up? So I guess like I was around coffee since essentially I was born. Like my my family had always had kind of like family farms where they had a little bit of cattle and they had coffee. And then I just remember playing with my cousins in the coffee plantation. But it was just like it was just like one thing that my family did. But then everything kind of like changed for my family uh, because of the conflict in Colombia. So Things got really bad for my family. My grandmother was murdered during the conflict because I come from a family of politicians and lawyers, and she was just very outspoken against the guerrillas. And unfortunately, she was murdered. So because of it, uh, my family just essentially had to flee the country. We had to leave everything behind. And that's how we ended up in the U.S. So, so we came to the U.S. as uh, political uh, refugees. I grew up there, so like I lived uh, a little bit in uh, New Jersey, but most of my time was spent in, uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. That's... Um not a happy story. So once you said that you grew up actually playing on coffee plantation. Yeah, like I remember, like we just go and play hide and seek. And uh, because the way that the coffee grows, is just like a tree that goes a little bit higher and then just has kind of like a canopy that you can just like, if you're a kid, you just like 
curl underneath it and then you have your friends or family just kind of like try and chase you. So those are the things that I remember growing up in relation to being around coffee. It's just like we would go and play hide and seek or or just do whatever we could kind of like just outside the farm. That's very interesting. So then you moved to the States, then you moved to Edmonton, and then you finally, after all of these years, decided to open a coffee bar and roastery. So what brought you to this point? Well, that's a little bit of a long story, but I'll, I'll turn it up for you. So I came to Edmonton for six months, and it turns out that now I've been here for 14 years. I never left. Canada has been very gracious to me, and it's been great. Uh, but when I came to, to Canada, I actually ended up becoming a, a carpenter. So like I was a carpenter up until about five years ago. And a few things happened, happened in my life where I realized that it wasn't about the money. It was about like doing something meaningful that you enjoy doing. Around the same time, one of my uncles moved back to Colombia and he purchased a hobby farm. This hobby farm happened to have coffee. So he started just like bugging me. Uh, hey, Santiago, can you just like help me bring the coffee to Canada? Because like they don't pay enough to be bored our while here. And I wanted nothing to do with anything from Colombia because like the way that we left, like essentially like my grandmother was the one that raised me and after she was murdered, I just kind of like bounced around. So I had uh, some just like not so great experiences from Colombia. So I wanted nothing to do with that, but he was insistent enough that I decided, you know what, it's been long enough. I'm gonna go and kind of like just see what Colombia is like now and I may be looking to, into the business of coffee because I definitely did not want to do construction anymore. And uh, it was very special. I've always been super drawn to the mountains here in, uh, in Canada. But when I was on the plane landing in my, in my home city, Manizales, in Colombia, it's literally like a small plane plummeting in the middle of the mountains. And then you just see like the green lush mountains everywhere. And I'm like, oh man, like I get it. I, I miss this. Like I, I miss how beautiful the countryside was. And then I just, it just kind of like, it was, it, it was kind of like going back to a place that you had me for a long time and just kind of like having that reconnection. And uh, that trip was like really magical because uh, my uncle took me to a few different farms, people that could tell me about the business. And I really fell in love with it. And I'm like, you know what? That's something that I could definitely see myself doing long term. So then we came back to Edmonton and I had like this grandiose idea that I wanted to open like a big roastery, a big coffee shop and just kind of like do all the good things right at once. But the reality is you need money to do those things. And because I had been self-employed for the previous six to seven years no bank will touch me like nobody would would want to give uh, give me a loan or anything like that but i did have some savings so i i told my partner at the time let's just take a gamble and let's just see how we can get the coffee roasting business on wheels and with with the money that we have so like we bootstrapped it like we just found a 400 square feet uh, space in an industrial area here in the northwest of edmonton and we purchased a small roaster figure out how to get the coffee from my uncle's farm in Colombia all the way to Canada, which is like that, that, that in itself was a feat just to be able to do that when you're only trying to move two or 300 kilos of coffee at a time, which seemed a lot back then, but like that is not even a, a roasting day at the, at the Colombian these days. So, so it's definitely kind of come a long, a long way. So that's, that's essentially how we got into it. Just bootstrapped it and, and, and I just hope for the best. And it's, it's been a really fun ride. That's very interesting. So it was your uncle who decided to move back, buy a hobby farm, happens to have coffee, and he's like, Santiago, let's get this connected back to Canada. Yeah, 100%. Like, like honestly, he was just like, I just want to m- 
make more a little bit more money because like the way that coffee works is just uh, treated as a commodity. Um, it's not necessarily like a full blown like full blown like food product, which is what it should be treated as. Uh, so it gets traded at the New York Stock Exchange. So when there's a lot of coffee around, the price goes down. So like in crop season, they don't get paid much, and then it goes back to like a decent enough price when there's not enough coffee. So like the farmers are always chasing that high, and sometimes they catch it, sometimes they don't. So when when he was trying to kind of like make sense of actually running. The, the farm as a business he was like I can't do it the way that it is so like I need somebody that is going to help me sell it like I thought of like maybe roasting the coffee in Colombia but the reality of that is coffee is only good for about a month month and a half after you roast it so to get it roasted in Colombia like they don't they don't have maybe the highest standards of, of roasting that we might have in North America so there was like a lot of logistical things and that, that I, I just didn't want to just sell coffee. Like if I was going to do something, I wanted to do it well. So I, I literally like offered it to a couple of coffee roasters here in, in, in Edmonton and they wanted nothing to do with it. Uh, so I was just like, you know what, maybe I, I should do the coffee roasting myself. And I think that's how I entertained starting the business and decided to go back to Colombia because I just really wanted to do something different and just maybe like out of trying to help my family. Uh, I think that's how we got into it. But yeah, it was just kind of like the timing was perfect. I wanted something different and my uncle just happened to have the farm. I was wanting to sell the coffee here in Canada. That's fantastic. So maybe we can dive into the actual coffee itself. If you could tell us what makes a good coffee from seedling to the final brew in your cup. If you could give us an overview of the life of a coffee bean and then what it takes to get that perfect roast? So, I mean, like, that, that, that is very hard because, like, when you, when you really look at coffee, like, you have to look at it as a pyramid. Essentially, at the bottom of the pyramid is, like, the high volumes of coffee, which are moved as a commodity, as I told you earlier. And those are, like, massive producers. So, like, Brazil does that very, very well. Like, they have combines. They have figured out how to mass produce coffee. And they're, like, one of the, the main producers. Then there's Colombia. Uh, we have figured out how to produce coffee in mass. And, like, the way that we have put a lot of research and development into doing that. Uh, but that's, like, for commodity. And that's what's always been pushed because that's what's made money for, like, the Colombian Coffee Federation for, for a very long time. But when you really start getting up that pyramid of what coffee is, then you go to like the top. And like those are the people that are like at the forefront, they're trying like the craziest things with coffee. So they want like coffees that are like with weird fermentations or like natural processes. Like they they try different extractions. They they roast the coffee super light. And those guys only want like the highest or like the the, the, the craziest coffees, like the most expensive coffees. And, and a lot of those coffees can come from Colombia. A lot of them come from Panama. A lot of them come from Ethiopia. But there's only a segment because it's not a coffee. Sometimes those coffees don't even taste like coffee, and, and it takes a lot of education with that. What I realized was good for us in terms of a business and in terms of something that we wanted to do was kind of like be in the middle, be that bridge between the people that just drink coffee, that, that just choose a coffee from the, from the store, that, it, that, that, that they essentially think that that's what coffee is. And, and then maybe as being the bridge to where they get to try a specialty coffee, where like a specialty coffee is coffee that is most of the time is directly traded all the way to the farmer. So I, I have 
we're very good knowledge of how, how the farm is being run, how the coffee is being processed, and you're incentivizing the farmer not on quantity, but on the quality of the coffee that they're producing. Uh, so by us doing that, I think it has, it has made a really good case for a, for a good business. So now when, we, when, when, when you ask me what makes a good cup of coffee, so it starts at the farm level because you need a farmer or a producer that is incentivized enough not to produce a bunch of coffee, but to produce really high quality coffee. And that's how we actually ended up getting connected with some people in Colombia, because we have an export partner. You just gotta have that middleman so that you're able to do all the logistics to get it out of the country. But essentially they did a study a few years back where they took all the, all the coffee produ producing regions in Colombia, and they figure out what does it take on average throughout all those regions to actually make a cup of coffee. And they put a price to it. And then they were able to say, okay, so like this is what it takes to produce. We want the farmers to actually get ahead. So we're gonna send, set up a benchmark where like this is the minimum that we're going to pay the farmers so that the farmers are not worried about producing more, but like just creating better farming practices and better quality on the coffee. And, we're, and then from there on that benchmark, it's only gonna go up depending on quality. So, by doing that to the farmers, then if they know that they don't have to worry about how much money they're going to get because they're always trying to chase that high of the commodity prices, if they just know that all they have to concentrate is on improving their, their farming practices, then it just takes a lot of pressure off of them. And like if me, as a roaster, I'm able to go and say, you know what, I co I'm committed to buy an X amount of coffee from you. I just need you to produce it with these protocols. I need you to be at this quality. Then... The pressure then is on them to actually be really careful to treat their employees really well to make sure that there's a lot of QC at the farm level. And then they're able to produce some really excellent coffees, which then in turn, we can actually say, you know what, that coffee is actually much better. We're not going to pay you at the bottom. We're going to pay you based on this, based on that. And, and then you just you just kind of like give it that incentive that every year that they have a crop, they're just trying to like dial in that product even more so that you can pay them way more money. So once you have really high quality coffee, then you just have to make sure that it is sorted and graded really well in Colombia. Like coffee has to meet certain standards such as UGQ or the European standard in order to leave the country. And that just has to do with like sizing and like defects in the coffee. But because of what we're trying to do, we, we adhere to the highest standards because we want to start with a really good product by the time it gets here. Uh, then we looked at our roasting philosophy, and our roasting philosophy, again, because I, I, I told you earlier, I wanted to be a bridge between, between both of them, being the commodity drinker or like the regular coffee drinker and, and kind of introducing them to like what specialty is. So I have the responsibility of roasting that coffee so that it tastes really good. I'm still representing all the hard work that the, that the farmer put into it while still keeping our responsibility of showing the customers this still tastes like coffee, but it, it can taste something different. So that they start asking the questions of like, oh, why well, does it taste like this? And then you can tell them about our process. So there's, it's, it's cool, because then you, you get to do a lot of educational pieces with, with customers or like little stories that you share with them. It's like, oh, like this coffee tastes like this because it's a natural process or it was fermented for X amount of time and, and then the sugars and then you just kind of get into a little bit of chemistry and then you just like really nerd it out. But essentially you just need somebody that cares about the coffee when they're roasting it 
but you you need to really incentivize the producer to give you a really good starting point with a, with a great quality coffee. So that's really interesting. A few questions that I follow up questions I have is first off, how do you determine that the coffee at the farm level before it's picked is of high quality? How do you define quality at that stage? So because now we work with the partners that we do in Colombia, they have researched what so like let's just go back to the SCA so it's like the Specialty Coffee Association which is worldwide it used to be European and North American now it's just one and back in the day they just put together a scale from 1 to 100 where you like taste the coffee you smell it you you have all these attributes that you have to grade the coffee on and you give it a you get a score. So coffee that is specialty it starts at eighty four points, and then the highest coffee that I think I've heard is maybe like a ninety four ninety five. But those are coffees that are crazy. They're just like almost perfect. So it's a lot of trial and error because each farm behaves differently. Their water is different. The way that they're able to process the coffee is different. So it's like kind of creating all these protocols with the farmers where you just do like a small batch of like, let's try this, that maybe worked at another farm, and let's, let's dry it. Then th- there's labs where essentially people cop it, and then based on that gradient of that scale from the SCA, then you're like, okay, like that's at 82, or that's at 84, or that's at 86 points coffee. And then based on that, then you, you decide that that is the sort of like the high quality. I, I hate doing that because it's subjective as to who's tasting it. And like the way that I, that I, taste coffee or the way that I buy coffee when I when I go back to origin is based on taste. It's like I know what my customers sort of like and what I want to present to them. So I'm always looking for coffees that are very sweet, coffees that are very well-rounded so they have a good body. They, they can be a little bit fun because they maybe have a little bit of brightness or like a little bit of acidity that can be fun. But also coffees that maybe have fruit flavors. So coffees that are very approachable. Um, so that's, that's how I think I decide what what coffee is, is of high quality is just by being able to taste it. And that's that's the only way that we're able to buy coffee. Like I never buy a coffee without tasting it because we just don't know what you're getting, right? So it's primarily based on taste and you're you have calibrated your taste to what your customers prefer and like over the years you've tested different batches and you realize that this specific taste profile is what is preferred by people in Edmonton. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's something that I that I did a lot of research on very early on before we even started roasting because I'm like, what are people doing out there? What are they saying about all these other roasters? And I kind of like just took all that back to the drawing board and I said, okay, so like if I want to be competitive, I don't want to be doing what everybody else is doing. So what are the things that we can do to make ourselves a little bit different? And that's how we came up with our roasting philosophy of we want to buy approachable coffees and be that bridge between the regular coffee drinker and like the specialty world of coffee. So once we buy high quality coffee from the farm, it comes to Edmonton and this is a green bean, which is then roasted right on location over here at the Colombian. Yeah, so so like there's a, there's a lot of things that people don't realize when you are buying direct. There's a lot of hoops that you have to jump. Right now, I am chipping coffees that end up in Edmonton, Edmonton but because I'm trying to consolidate with other people, sometimes it ends up in California and then I have to truck it up. Sometimes it ends up in Vancouver. 
Uh, this year we were lucky enough that we were able to ship coffee all the way to Edmonton. So it just literally came on a chip to Vancouver. They took that container, put it on rail, and it ended up here in, in Edmonton. So there's a lot of logistics around getting the coffee here and like people don't understand that they just think it's just like it just magically showed up but uh it's definitely like it's it's probably one of the hardest part of the business because not only am i responsible for roasting the coffee but just like making sure that the coffee gets here in a timely manner kind of like managing all the all the stock because i can't just like call somebody and say hey can you send me a couple bags here like i have to plan for six to twelve months ahead of time so that is one thing uh, once the coffee gets here, yeah, so like we bring it into our roastery, we we'll usually, because the roastery, as you can see, and for the, the ones that are listening, it's just very small, like we're looking at about 600 square feet where we have a coffee roaster and we have maybe like 20 to 30 bags of coffee on hand, but at any given time, we, we could be holding up to 150, 200 bags of, of, of site, so it's, it, it's definitely like a not just about the roasting, but it's, it's about managing all the all the other logistical things so that we can so that we're able to produce the coffee. That does sound quite complex, especially the logistics. So just to give you an example, like to move a pound of coffee out of Colombia by sea into Vancouver, it costs anywhere between forty five to fifty five cents. That same pound of coffee, if you were going to do it by air, you're looking anywhere between two to two fifty, and that's US. So and that's for a pound of coffee. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely like you want to move it by sea and, but the, the, the problem of moving it by sea, then you just need volume. So like you're trying to fill a container or you're trying to find a friend that you're going to share a container with. And, um, thankful, thankfully, like we have a great, uh, specialty scene here, here in Canada. And like, I've become really good friends with a few different roasters and we're all able to benefit from like sharing the, the, the transport of the coffee and, and, and we have some really good partners in Colombia that are okay with us working together. So so definitely like there's there's also ways to kind of like make all those logistics much easier and it's just kind of like build those relationships with, with other people here in Canada that they're not necessarily competitors. They're just people trying to uh, make the industry much better, you know? Yeah, for sure. I actually really appreciate and, and value, I guess, the direction that the coffee industry is headed into it's just like everything is it's still it's a it's a fruit product it can be treated as a commodity and like i said it's that there's different segment segments in the market definitely like there's people that dominate it that have been around for a long time um there's also some of those big companies that at some point they were really good for the industry because they contributed to maybe some research and development like coffee coffee is essentially a, a plant that has different bugs or pests that will attack it. And I think a lot of those companies uh, have invested money into uh, the research of making sure that like it's rust resistance or like how to make the farming practices better so that you can produce higher yields. So yeah, I think it's, it's, it's heading in a really good direction, definitely. Cause I think like now you're able to meet the farmer. Like if you, if you really want to have that traceability, you're able to have it to where maybe like 10, 15 years ago, that was a pipe dream. And maybe some people said, oh yeah, this is what we're doing. But really they just knew their export partner in Colombia because it just wasn't easy. It was, there was a lot of hoops these days with social media and like the, the ways that we're able to communicate, it just make it, makes it much easier to actually talk to a farmer in Colombia and then also, a lot of younger people that maybe left the country to go and study abroad and their families had farms, they have actually moved back to Colombia and they have realized that 
this is a business that we can take on and like now they're able to kind of create those direct connections from the farm level all the way to the to, to the roaster which is essentially you're bypassing a bunch of other like middlemen like importers uh different dealers like th th there's a lot of stuff so yeah like it's it's evolved into something that is really good but it's just like everything there's always going to be good things and bad things and then we just have to try and make it as sustainable as possible with with our business model that's a very positive outlook on the coffee industry and i thank you for shedding that light with that before my coffee gets too cold and thank you for very much for the coffee why don't we do a little bit of a coffee tasting so before i take my first sip of my coffee maybe you can give me a couple of pointers of what i should be looking out for i guess us in the coffee industry we have borrowed a lot of terminology and a lot of things from the wine industry they have done a lot of like work for us and then we have just been able to calibrate ourselves to certain flavors and coffee has been great because it, it has made me appreciate food a lot more like i really savor it more because i want to know what things taste like so that other times that i'm evaluating a coffee or tasting a coffee i can actually just go back to it and be like oh this is what it tastes like um, the coffee that you have in front of you, that's actually like uh, one of our rock star blends here. And it's, uh, it's a coffee called Workhorse. And it's probably like the coffee that I want grandma or grandpa to take home and just be like, that is a great coffee. It's not a coffee that is like super dark roast because we don't do dark roast. All Everything that we roast here is light to medium, but it still has that good body. So like when you, when you take a sip of it, you're probably going to get a little bit of slight acidity that is like not overpowering uh, so just more kind of like an orange or or, or kind of like an apple and that's and that's like when we talk about like the acidity it will be in those fruits which is then followed by a really good body and that essentially coats your whole mouth and then you kind of like get some of the sweetness out of the coffee and then uh, the thing that i'm the most uh, careful with is the finish like you just don't want a coffee that once it once it leaves your mouth it leaves that taste of kind of like a ashtray like you want it to be kind of like really nice and rounded so like I would say this guy tastes like a, a darker chocolate and, and maybe like some fig so it's uh it, it's a nice coffee it's a coffee that is approachable that if if me as like a coffee professional had it I would be happy with it in the morning but also if we took it to like our parents or our grandparents that are just used to kind of like diner coffee they could still appreciate it and be like you know what that's going to taste really good with cream and sugar and uh, and they'll be happy with it. So it's all about that approachability in the coffee. So I just took a sip of this coffee, and it is the smoothest coffee I've ever sipped. It is, I, I taste a little bit of orange right at the beginning, and it's so mildly acidic. I do find there are some coffees out there that are quite acidic, and I, I personally prefer the low acidity of this coffee. And the finish is exactly as you said. It's like dark chocolate with a little bit, just a hint of fig. And the aftertaste is just smooth. It doesn't linger and it's not bitter. It's quite delicious. Yeah, and you know what? And I think it's it's, it's kind of like as a roaster, that's that's what we're trying to, to achieve. Like we want a coffee that is pleasant, uh, whether it's hot, cold, warm. And, and just, yeah, just like taking care of that coffee so that it is approachable. I think like... Some people like really bright coffees, and, 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 and if I was just buying for me, I would buy, coffees, buy bright coffees all day long, but I also realize that I'm not buying for me, I'm buying for my customers, or buying for a lot of people that like different things. So as a roaster, then you have to be very open-minded and like really be inclusive in terms of like what you buy, 
And that's why we offer a few different coffees. So how did you roast the beans to accomplish this flavor profile? So honestly, like it was just kind of like roasted to kind of like a light medium. And there's a lot of like quality control and a lot, a lot of trial and error. Uh, because this is like a, a blend that we have year round. So like we just don't have the same coffee year round. So we just buy coffees that have similar flavor profiles. And then every time that we get a new coffee, we just have to roast it and dial it in. And my Texas takes us a few roasts to kind of like adjust it. And like I've been doing it long enough that now I know what are the things that you can adjust to essentially achieve the consistent flavor throughout the year. Because that's another thing that I realized is people don't like change. People want to have their morning coffee or like the coffee that they come to every day and they just want it to taste the same. So that's that's why very early on we, we realized we needed to do a couple of blends because as as great as it is to have just like the coolest coffee that or like the trendiest coffee, I think it's more important to have a coffee that is consistent because I think for for a lot of things in life, consistency is very important. So that's a really good point you bring up and I had never considered it, but it's obvious, obviously, that coffee would not taste the same year-round. So it's quite impressive that you've been able to determine a blend that attains that consistent taste. That being said, do you hope or expect that as coffee culture progresses over the years that we become more sensitized to the seasons and maybe we would be more open to just having different tasting coffee? No, 100%. And I think a lot of people are doing it out there. Like a lot of people are just like every time that the season changes, they move to a different coffee. And I think it just really has to do with your business model. And it has to do with, uh, again, the, the roasting uh, philosophy of that business. I think for us, it's just I wanted consistency because I, I want to go after those people that that just want a coffee that is really high quality, but they, they don't want to maybe change things very much. But that's just for the blends. Like, we also have coffees that are very wild. I think if I was to just maybe, like, do a parallel on this, this is kind of like the hook to get people drinking specialty coffee because it still tastes like coffee. And then maybe one day they'll come and maybe we won't have it on the shelf or they'll, there'll be a label that will kind of, like, catch their eye or, like, a flavor uh, description. They'll be like, oh, I want to try this. And then all of a sudden they're, they're just trying one of our seasonals or, like, one of our micro lots and... And then that's how you get people drinking other coffees. So I think the, the whole point of having a coffee that is consistent throughout the year is the hook so that we can actually open the conversation of like, oh, this coffee is really good, but I want more. I want to try other things. And that's how you sometimes get a customer that maybe for the first three or four months, they just have their workhorse all the time. And then one day, like right now, we have a great coffee from Southern Colombia, which is a, a Pickers project, an experimental pro- project that we participated in with our export partner in Colombia. And it's a coffee that is high altitude, very dense, very fruity, like super, super bright, but very sweet. And maybe some people will try those things because they have been trying our coffees and we have built that confidence of like, we want to take care of you by giving you a really good product. It's okay for you to just go and try other things. So we've talked about the quality of the coffee bean at the farm. We've talked about roasting and how you've developed different blends. So I want to talk about your growth personally, because the Colombian opened in 2017, right? Yes, it's been, uh, it's been five years since we started the Colombian. So in, in those five years, what are the critical, I guess, lessons that you've learned after you started this business? And where do you see yourself going from here? You know, I ask 
myself all the time, and it changes as to where we're going to go. Uh, but when I guess to answer the, the first part of your question of what have I learned in these five years, and I would say I've learned that people's skills are more important than the coffee. I think those soft skills are, are huge. So to give an example, we're not just a coffee company. We're actually a values-based company because I also worked in the service industry for a very long time. And I could see how toxic the service industry can be because maybe employees don't get treated great or, or there's always kind of like that drama. And I didn't want that. Like I wanted something that was meaningful because of the dreams that I have for the Colombian. So right of the, right of the start, like we, we kind of like encounter some mentors that kind of like show us a different way of setting up a company, which was based on values. So like everything that we do is based on us being professionals. There's no rock stars at the Colombian. So like we work as a team. Everybody wins. Everybody loses. Everybody is essentially cross-trained to do everything because we want to work as a team. It's not just about one person. And then we borrowed a few things from Walt Disney. Anybody can make a good cup of coffee, but not everybody can make a good cup of coffee and make people feel special. So one of our mandate as a company at the local level is our mission is to actually use coffee as a catalyst to create community because, yes, we're so connected these days with like social media and all stuff, but we're so disconnected from each other because we're just like staring at all these little screens. So we just kind of wanted to be like that oasis for people to come and just have kind of like that personal connection every day. So like we're, we're, we have put a lot of intentionality behind like making people feel special and like we just want everybody to live the Colombian happy time when they came in. So customer service is huge for us. But then that takes a different kind of leadership. So I become a different leader. Like I came from the construction industry where it's just like you're king and you're just telling people how to do it because the stakes are so high and, and, that's, and that's the only way to get things done because otherwise people just think you're soft. To where like in coffee, I have right now 30 amazing employees. I love every one of them because they all have bought into kind of like what we are. They put a lot of care into what they do. And, 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 and those people, you cannot treat them like you would treat them a, a construction worker. So there's a lot of like empowerment. There's a lot of like trying to kind of like allow them to make decisions and just kind of like set, them, set really high expectations for them to, to know like this is where we want to take the Colombian and, and, and just creating a, a great company culture. Like we, we invested in, in giving our employees uh, benefits, which is, which is very hard. A lot, of, a lot of business owners would say, why are we giving our employees benefits? But to me is I wouldn't have the Colombian, I wouldn't have two stores, I wouldn't have a great roasting team if I wasn't, if I didn't have a great people around me. So like my, my biggest thing in the past three years since we essentially opened our retail front is how do I build long lasting relationships with my employees and create a, a place that they want to come to work because a lot of people just hate going to work and, and nothing pleases me more than when I ask an employee, how are things going? They're like, you know what? I love it. I love it here. Like, I, I just like to come to work. That retention has been great. People don't, don't call in sick. Like, people just want to come to work. And I think that's a testament to setting up a company with a lot of intentionality and, 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 and just being really dialed into not just the coffee, but the people that you surround yourself with. That's a really great ethos to have. And I completely, I can relate with that, the whole part where you don't want to go into work. So we've talked about um, we've talked about the Colombian and what it I guess started off as and what you hope it will be moving forward and what you've accomplished over here. Now going a bit broader, 
how have you noticed in the five years coffee industry has evolved and what are you hoping to see in the coffee industry moving forward yeah i mean like there are so many things that that have happened but but also i think having covid like covid is something that nobody in any industry ever planned for and i think for us it it actually just made us pivot in different ways and it just made us uh, more nimble and i think it has done that for a lot of companies and i think it's going to create a lot of opportunity for a lot of people so i think in the next five years, it's going to be a frenzy of people expanding, and I hope that's what we do. Like, we want to expand. We want to grow into a, a monster. Like, I like to call it a monster because there's a lot of great producers making great coffee in Colombia, and I want to buy from all of them. And I also want people here at the local level or the different markets that we decide to go into to drink really good coffee. So I like to see more independence pop up because that that is not necessarily competition, but it's just like the standards are being are being brought up, which then means that the customers understand why potentially a cup of coffee could cost six, seven dollars, because then we are paying the the producers more, and it just creates that sustainability in in the business. It's 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 not just about the profit today; it's about the long term thing, and it's about creating sustainability from the farm level all the way to our business. Like, if the farmers are not making money and they can and and, and they can produce coffee, I can I can sell coffee, right? So. Yeah, I think we just need to work on that sustainability and, and, and just really for customers to really understand what it takes to make a, a cup of coffee and just being able to support the people that are maybe going the extra mile to source coffees that maybe they're not doing direct trade like we do because it's very hard. But there are some really reputable exporters out there that you can buy coffee from and they can support that business as well because you're in a way you're kind of like supporting that sustainability in the business. So we're hoping moving forward that there are more independent coffee roasters and producers so that they're not subject to um, the trading floors, basically. Moving away from it being a commodity and towards it being an actual food product and valued as such. 100%. And when you like break it down to a, to a farmer or like a producer like that, it changes their mindset. And I think us being able to like say to a farmer, listen, you're just not making... This is not like wheat or this is not like corn that you're just like trying to pump as much as you can because it's a, it's a quantity game. It's like you're actually creating a beverage and you need to treat it as such. And it's not different than like maybe tea. It kind of is like a little bit ceremonial and they take a lot of care of it. So, yeah, I think it's it's about treating it as a, as a beverage or as a food product rather than a commodity. It's, it's more meaningful that way. You mentioned also earlier that you would like to see more independent coffee producers and roasters. So... For anyone looking or, or thinking of perhaps entering the coffee industry, what advice would you give them? So for anybody trying to start any business, the thing that I always say, get a bookkeeper. Don't try to do it yourself. That is just like setting up yourself for failure. And then after that, just like find your tribe, find the things. Don't try and please everybody. You're not, you're not bacon. You're not a golden coin that everybody likes. Uh, so like you just got to pick a thing that you're good at, that you like, that you believe in, and just go after it, you know, like... There is room for everyone, and uh, competition is good. Competition keeps everybody honest, and it keeps us dialed. So we need we need more independence. Everybody rocks on Starbucks, but I think Starbucks has done great things for the industry. And when I go back to Colombia, I see some of the great things that they have done in terms of like research and development. So I don't want to rag on them, but like definitely it would be great to be able to take a little bit back from like some of those bigger corporations that have had a lot of power and have had a lot of money, and maybe we can just share the wealth. You know, like by maybe smaller guys doing what we do, uh, we're able to just 
redistribute some of that wealth back to the producers or back to some of the people that normally wouldn't get all, the, all that money, you know? So I think that's my thing to people getting into it. Get a bookkeeper, pick your thing, go with it, just hustle it. And then, yeah, just just love what you do. Funny enough, um, I'm doing my MBA right now and I had to do two accounting courses and we had to do a lot of journal entries and bookkeeping. And the only thing that I've learned from those courses is if I were to start a business, just get a bookkeeper. Yeah, 100%. I, and, and that's the other thing. People don't talk enough about business. And uh, business is hard. Like, they have glamorized entrepreneurship and it's like the cool thing that they do. And that stuff is not for everyone. You need a lot of thick skin. You need to be able to just get through the tough times. And you have to be super resilient. And the things, you have to recognize what you're good, good at and what you're not. And sometimes it's cheaper to outsource things than try and do them yourself. It's like... I remember a man told me don't don't save a nickel to to spend a dollar, and that's one of those things. Like I, I learned very early on, I'm not good at accounting, and I need to know my numbers, and I become more comfortable looking at the numbers because I need to run the business, and like now I need to lead this company into what we're gonna do. But I also need to get access to people that are specialists in that field so that we can actually be super dialed. Absolutely. Specialists are valuable. Is there anything else that you would like to share with us that I haven't already asked or touched upon? Yeah, no, I mean, like, just just people to be, like, open-minded about coffee and what it is. If you're passionate about, not just coffee, I guess, any product, is if you want to create uh, or make a difference in the world, is try and get as close to the source, like, try and be as traceable as possible with the, with the things that you do. And I know these days, like, everybody takes takes all these huge steps and like they post it on social media and they want all these things but it's, it's, it's not the big things that come out of your mouth it's the little actions that you take consistently just like buying your coffee from a local coffee roaster that has gone through the trouble of buying really high quality coffee so that you can drink better coffee than you buy from Folgers you know like th those are the little things so support your your local purveyors of any goods like there's farmers in edmonton there's a lot of people that are hustling trying to create that traceability or like trying to to remove as many barriers so that you can make the product cheaper but they can also make it sustainable so i believe in sustainability and that's the only way to do it absolutely i agree and my final question my closing question is what is your favorite dish in edmonton my favorite dish in edmonton Man, there's like such great restaurants. That is a hard one. You know what? The butternut tree, they're a Canadian-only ingredients restaurant. They have a super talented team in the kitchen. And if you like scallops, those guys make the best scallops in the city. Like, these things just melt in your mouth. They're they're dreamy. So yeah, definitely. Like I will say, scallops at the butternut tree are, are the best. That's awesome. I never realized that butternut tree is all Canadian. I will add that to my list. Again, thank you so much for meeting with me. I know you are very busy, as we can see around here. And I really appreciate you taking your time to talk to me today. No, thank you. Thank you for including us in this. And I'm always happy to share kind of like our story and any any insight or wisdom that I can. So thanks again.
there you have it, a holistic view on the coffee industry, trade, values, roasting, and above all, community. Talking to Santiago was a joy and it gave me a big picture view of what it takes to run a sustainable business, from the product to the team that makes it all happen. My conversation with Santiago was inspiring and uplifting. His positive outlook on life was refreshing and I hope you gained insight into not only the coffee industry but also entrepreneurship. If you're in the area, I highly encourage you to check them out. The Colombian is on Stony Plain and 134th Street in Edmonton. And in the words of my friend Catherine, the coffee is... Very good. Nice and strong. You know, sometimes when you drink black coffee, it's like almost sour. Mm -hmm. None of that. It's delicious. For That's Food, I'm Sabetha Cartwright. Today's episode was produced by me, with the help from the That's Food team. Thank you to Santiago for speaking with us. Our music is by Doug Hoyer. You can find all our episodes on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and on our website, that'sfood.transistor.fm. You can contact us at that'sfood at cjsr.com. We are That's Food CJSR on Facebook and Instagram. That's Food is produced at CJSR in Edmonton on Treaty 6 territory. But is it food? That's good!